Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, June the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. We're going to get you guys caught up on some Dolphins housekeeping, including Jakeem Grant news, yet another tutorial on positional pigeonholing with this new defense, and we'll talk about contingency plans on the offensive line, plus Joe Blewett host of the Turn on the Jets Film Room podcast, joins us to preview the stinking New York Stige. All of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Himalaya, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. That helps us get out to more Dolphins fans, and it really helps the podcast. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And of course, the show at LockedOnFins, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the entirety of the 2020 quarterback class scouting reports up there on LOD.com. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And first today, before we jump in, I want to cover the personal news that I put up on Twitter that I will be in fact accepting a job to work with fansided.com to cover the Pac-12 in college football. And I just want to make it abundantly clear Nothing will change on LockedOnDolphins.com or the Locked On Dolphins podcast. All it's doing is putting more on my plate to talk more football and to put a little extra coin in my pocket and to further round out my skill set and career as a writer, a broadcaster, a podcaster, whatever the hell you want to call me. All things are good out here on the Locked On Dolphins front. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. And with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins and first down today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. And we start today with this report by Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post. And he has the story up on the PBP website detailing Jakeem Grant's recovery from that calf slash Achilles injury that he had last season. He wound up coming out of the Green Bay Packers game mid-game with what looked like a serious injury, and I thought we all kind of assumed, because of the way last season went, that he did tear his Achilles, which probably would have cost him the majority of the season and really put the rest of his career in jeopardy as he heads into a contract season. But courtesy of this story by Hal Habib, Jakeem Grant says, quote, he has gotten over the mental hurdle of the injury, end quote, and that he's ready to make his impact on the team and to make himself known as a wide receiver. He's already one of the best return man, if not the best return man, as I would say he is in the National Football League. But I think this guy has a chance to be a real impact wide receiver. I mean, hell. He was doing it last year before the injury happened, and of course, he didn't get the extended playing time that he deserved when Albert Wilson went down, but we'll leave the Adam Gay stuff in the past. We'll leave that with Joe Blewett and the New York Jets because he is their problem now, so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Let's do a rapid change on the subject here, and I saw this on Twitter, and I wanted to cover it once again because... It's been one of the things I feel like I've been dealing with for two years now here on the podcast. It goes back to my desire to draft 
Derwin James or Mika Fitzpatrick last year and being told time and time again that this team didn't need any new safeties because they had Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald. Well, that's a bunch of hogwash because you need more defensive backs to really play the modern style of defense in the NFL. And now we didn't see Matt Burke do it because, well, he's a ding dong and he's now fired, but we now need to do it because we have a defensive mind that's caught up on modern day defense in Brian Flores and Patrick Graham and the like. And so you're going to have more defensive backs on the field. I talked about it this year. They didn't draft that way because, frankly, they were kind of low on resources and had to put resources into Christian Wilkins, into Josh Rosen and Michael Dieter. So they didn't do it that way. But don't get caught up on Bobby McCain being a permanent free safety. Don't get caught up on Minka Fitzpatrick only playing in the slot. These guys in the Patriots defense under Brian Flores, Eric Rowe is a great example of it. He played outside corner, inside corner. He played some safety. He played on the line of scrimmage as an off-ball linebacker and on-ball linebacker. Guys are going to play all over the field. They're going to cross-train. Just please, please do me a favor and don't pigeonhole guys into positions. That's not what it's going to be on this team. And that actually got me thinking about the offensive line on this football team in regards to the positional changes, but also because of Joe Marino, the host of the Lockdown Bills podcast, his comments about Jordan Mills on Tuesday's podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And we know that Jesse Davis is suited to play pretty much anywhere but the center position. We know Michael Dieter quite literally did play everywhere except right tackle at Wisconsin in his illustrious four-year career there. Chris Reed, he can play either guard position. So it got me thinking, what happens to the offensive line in the event of an injury? I think one injury to my proposed starting five offensive line will throw everything into a shuffle. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's kind of a requirement for a team with such little resources at the position. And this kind of harkens back to the interview I referred to on a podcast. I think it was last week on Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. They interviewed Falcons general manager Thomas Dimitrov, and he talked about their approach on the offensive line because, like the Dolphins last year, the Falcons got ravaged by injuries, particularly on the offensive line, and that ruined who is almost a Hall of Fame level quarterback in Matt Ryan and it ruined a skill set with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Muhammad Sanu and Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. An offense that stacked couldn't get much done at times because the offensive line was so banged up and could not protect Ryan. So he went into the offseason saying, I want to sign two free agents and that will in no way prohibit us from drafting maybe even two more guys in the first three rounds of the draft. And that's just what they did. They put their resources there. So the line of thinking is that the offensive line needs depth. You need bodies. You need to cross train. So if the starting five for the Miami Dolphins goes Laramie Tunzel, Michael Dieter, Daniel Kilgore, Chris Reed, Jesse Davis, let's fill out this lineup in the event that one of those guys gets hurt. And we start with left tackle Laramie Tunzel. If he goes down, pretty simple. Jordan Mills comes into the game. Less shuffling. But let's be honest. We're pretty much screwed if that happens. Left guard Michael Dieter. If he goes down, I think you move Chris Reed to left guard. You kick Jesse Davis into right guard. And you put Jordan Mills out wide at right tackle. Or you could put Jesse Davis at left guard and just leave Chris Reed at right guard. If Daniel Kilgore goes down, I think Michael Dieter steps in at center. Jesse Davis moves to left guard to fill in for Michael Dieter. And Jordan Mills plays right tackle to take Jesse Davis's position. Now, if Chris Reed goes down, you just kick Jesse Davis inside the right guard and you put Jordan Mills at right tackle. And of course, if Davis goes down, 
Jordan Mills just fills in for him. So that tells me that Jordan Mills is pretty much the swing guy off the bench in almost any event that an injury occurs. But it also tells me that Jesse Davis is ultra valuable to the team this year because of that versatility, because of the cross training. And we have to be honest with ourselves. We know that an injury is going to happen at some point. You just don't get through a season with 16 starts from your first five guys. The Dolphins will really need to either A, develop some depth, in behind these guys this year, or B, address the issue next offseason. All right, we're going to step away for a quick minute and come back on the other side with Joe Blewett of the Turn on the Jets Film Room podcast to preview the Steege. I mean, I can't even bring myself to say the Jets, the Steege. We'll preview them next. But first, really quickly, I want to tell you guys about Untuck It. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. So if you're going to happy hour or you're stuck in your cubicle, there's no tucking and no tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, use promo code NBA as in the National Basketball Association to get 20% off untuckit.com promo code NBA. This recurring softball nightmare of lack of games continues on as a huge thunderstorm rolled in on Wednesday evening and wiped out both softball games. So for the fourth consecutive week, I don't get to go down and do my favorite thing on Wednesday and play softball with my buddies. We're off for the week once again, hopefully return back to the field next Wednesday. But with that, let's go ahead and welcome in our next guest here and talk about the New York Jets. We have previewed 29 of the other 31 teams in the NFL. We'll have the Patriots on Friday with Mark Schofield. But today we have Joe Blewett of the Turn on the Jets Film Room Podcast. And you guys know I'm a sucker for all 22 breakdowns and also keeping tabs on our three division rivals. And there's nobody better to follow covering the New York Jets than my guest today. You guys can find him on Twitter at JoeRB31. Joe, what's up, dude? Uh, it's I'm I'm happy right now. All season's rolling, uh, rolling along. The Jets signed some guys. So it's gave me some tape to break down and put up on Twitter. And uh, season's coming soon after the you know the off season break. That six weeks we got training camp coming, and then by the time you know it, it's going to be uh, preseason. So the season's coming. You know, it's kind of funny because the last few years I was always like. I guess a little bit of empathy for Jets fans because you guys just didn't have a whole lot to look forward to for the season because you were rebuilding and things were kind of trending in the negative direction. And I was like, I just can't imagine going through an off season without any expectations. And now here we are in 2019. You guys are all jazzed up about your new additions and the Dolphins are predicted to finish last by just about everybody. So the shoe is on the other foot, but the shoe is also on the other foot with your head coach now, our former head coach, Adam Gaze. And I don't want to harp on his existence or or this whole, you know, new rivalry and bad blood. But I do want to talk about what you expect to see with Sam Darnold, because let's face it, that is the ultimate crown jewel of your organization right now. How do you expect Sam Darnold to progress going forward? I know you've done a lot of the film work on him. What do you think about him in this Adam Gaze offense? Just kind of give us the skinny on Adam Gaze and Sam Darnold and their future going forward together. Yeah, well, you know, you know better than I do at this point. Adam Gates is with you guys for many more, obviously, or much more time than he was with, or that he's been with the Jets. And I watched the last season of Adam Gates with with Tannehill, and um, I'm sure you saw it on film. There was plenty of times where Tannehill just wouldn't hit the open guy, and he really seems like he simplified some things in his offense. Where I know a, a, a common complaint of Miami Dolphins fans is the fact that he 
you know, through a ton of screen passes, which I saw too when I was watching the film. But you kind of have to try to get into the side of the coach's head if he can't, if Tannehill can't make a ton of reads and, and complex reads that Adam Gase wants him to make. Did he have to throw more screens, kind of, to limit or or to work around the limitations he had at quarterback? So I think he's he's going into a situation where obviously Donald's young. He's still he's still gonna make mistakes. I think he's gonna still have some uh, bumps in his sophomore year. But you watch his progression last year, and he has a few games sprinkled in, you know, in in the beginning, in the middle of the season, where he played teams like the Colts and the Broncos, where he really showed out, where they dominated the Lions on on his first, uh, you know, in his first in his very first game in the NFL. But then there was also games where he really struggled versus teams like the Bears and the Jaguars and the Dolphins, where I believe he threw what three or four interceptions. But then you also look at some of the talent that he was working with in the offensive coordinator and Jeremy Bates, who had one of the most simple offenses and one of the most dumb offenses I've ever watched in my entire <laughs> life of watching film. Uh, with with that, he also threw more uh, third and 10 and fourth and 10 plus situations uh, than any quarterback in the NFL or the highest percentage last year working with guys like versus the Bears, the number one defense in the NFL uh, with receivers like Jermaine Curse and Andre Roberts and Deontay Burnett, an undrafted free agent you know, at his disposal with Isaiah Crowell out. Powell out running with guys like Elijah McGuire and Cannon. So uh, Donald showed me a lot, in, you know, regardless of stats. Then everybody talks about those last four games, which were ridiculously impressive, where he was rated one of the highest quarterbacks in the NFL, and the film showed that. And then Adam Gase going into his offense. I think Adam Gase, I don't think he's Sean McVay. I don't think he's one of these top-flight coaches. But um, on film, I was definitely more impressed with him than I've been, you know, uh, Kind of more impressed. Sorry, I've been more impressed with him more than I've been with a Jets coach in the past. We look at guys like Jeremy Bates and Morning Morningweg, uh, who are just completely incompetent as offensive coordinators and offensive coaches. Uh, Adam Gase's offense, I think, is very diverse, and it's kind of hard to even predict what he'll do. And that was one of your concerns that you had about Adam Gase. And that's something that I picked up on the film as well. That he ran so many different concepts. That I don't even know what he's going to do because there would be a concept. Let's just say it's something like a like a tear concept that would work frequently for a game or two, and he would completely go away from it for whatever reason. So I, I'm hoping that he doesn't try to outsmart himself. Um, but I do think he's a smart offensive coordinator. I, I expect our offensive mind, and I expect him to put Donald on the move a lot, um, outbreaking concepts, you know, sail, flood, things like that, that Donald does. Uh, I think I think he is the best in those type of concepts, especially on the move. I actually think he's a better quarterback on the move than just standing still. But um, I'm definitely expecting Donald to take a, a leap in, in year two, especially with the talent that I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, that's surrounded him now. Yeah, that flood concept was a very popular concept for the Dolphins with the play action boot to the, you know, the mm-hmm. naked side. And they would leave Tannehill to kind of take care of a defender himself because of the running threat that he offered. And so he would do that often. Like you said, he would go away from those concepts far too often. But I think a lot of times in year number, or I guess the second time around for a coach, they tend to learn from their mistakes, and if they don't, they get fired again. But that would be where Adam Gaze would have to start, is to learn from those mistakes. And if he can, he can be a dangerous play caller. And like you mentioned, those Ryan Tannehill limitations were basically his limitations from the start of his career up until now. It just never kind of got ironed out. But let's go ahead and transition back into some of that talent you talked about there with the Jets. And of course, we have to start with Le'Veon Bell, because Adam Gaze, for whatever reason, in Miami... It was a committee of backs except for this like 12 game stretch in 2016 when Jay Ajayi was just going crazy every single week. And I'm curious to see or to ask you what you think about Le'Veon Bell on this offense. Is he going to be that 80% workhorse that Ajayi was that year? How do they factor him into the running game, into the passing game? Is he the bell cow in this offense? 
That's another interesting question because, as you told me when I was asking you questions, as soon as the Jets, you know, got Adam Gase, is is who was the offensive, the, the run game coordinator? You were telling me it's Eric Studsville, I believe was his name. Yep. Um. So I don't know who's necessarily going to coordinate the run game, whether it be if the Jets sign a run game coordinator or if it's the offensive line coach from Cincinnati and Frank Pollock that they um, signed a few months ago. So the run game, I'm expecting more of an offensive uh, uh, zone type heavy offensive system, whether it be mid zone, outside zone, wide zone, uh, depending on what Pollock likes to do. I, I know he did a, a couple different things, but they're all zone based in Cincinnati. So I'm expecting a zone based heavy uh, offensive system in the, in the run game. Now, with Bell and some of the signings they've made this offseason, they signed Blau Powell back, who I'm sure you watching a ton of film as well. Uh, Blau Powell, is a, he's, a, he's a decent running back. He's a decent. He's definitely a very solid number two, and even when he's a starter, he definitely makes some good plays. And they signed uh, Ty Montgomery, too, who's a very versatile guy. So I think they signed two backups for Bell because the Jets are kind of looking you know, towards the long term, where with the Steelers, when he was getting, it seemed like, a 1,000 touches a year, um, it was kind of because that, the Steelers thought that they weren't going to re-sign him, and they just try to run him into the ground, run him into the ground, get as much production as they can. Where I think the Jets are looking more long-term, as they gave him, you know, that thirty-five million dollars or so in in that guaranteed money. So he's stuck here for at least two to three years. So I think they signed these backups um, for him, so they could play that you know thirty percent of the snaps altogether. So I think Bell is going to see around seventy to seventy-five. Uh, five percent of the snaps and the good thing about bell and everybody who's watched him is there's really nothing he can't do he could split out wide isolated against the linebacker or safety he could run routes um even versus some bad cornerbacks he can run between the tackles he can run traps or powers or wide zones mid zones he could do literally whatever you want him to do and we saw plenty of that with adam gase and in, in, in miami where he flexes uh, running backs out wide. He does a bunch of creative things where he's, you know, putting wide receivers into the backfield. So I'm sure with a guy who can literally do pretty much anything, um, you know, and he has a very, he's a very wide uh, kind of range of traits that are, that are plus minus, you know, he's top end speed. There's really nothing Gase can't do with Bell, but I do expect him to limit Bell a little bit because you do have guys like Powell and Ty Montgomery behind him. I do think that Le'Veon Bell, not just in the AFC East or the Jets in particular, across the NFL, probably one of the most intriguing storylines this season because one, he took a year off from football, but two, the offensive line he had in Pittsburgh was awesome. And not to say that he's not a great player. He absolutely is. He's very, very talented. Mm -hmm. But it brings me to a possible concern the Jets might have on offense here up on the offensive line. This was a, an Achilles heel during Adam Gase's entire tenure. He could not scout or, or you know, uncover guard play or center play to save his life. And I know you guys got Chuma Adoga in the offseason, who I was a big fan of in the draft process, as well as Kalechi Osemele. But where do you come in on the offensive line? How much of a concern is it for you with this new offense? Oh, it, it's it's a massive concern. I, I think I was just saying on my podcast, I think the offensive line um, and how they play together could bring the Jets from, you know, six and ten to maybe nine and six. Like there's that big of a difference because the offensive line was the biggest concern going into the offseason. You they traded for Cleccio Semele, who he was a former all-pro, pro-ball type of guy, but last year he was pretty disappointing with the Raiders, so is he healthy now? You have Kelvin Beecham, who is a, a at best decent left tackle. He's a good pass blocker, but terrible in the run game. Uh, Brandon Shell, in, in my opinion, a lot of Jets fans are high on him, but I think Brandon Shell's an awful right tackle, and you guys have seen Cameron Wake eat him alive every single time <laughs> yes. they play, who's not on your team now, thank God. Um, you have Winters, who is, who, who is below average, and you have Jonathan Harrison, who's never really went into a full-time starter role. He's always been a backup. So uh, the offensive line is a massive concern for the Jets. And like I said with Sam Donald last year, having to throw more third and 10 and fourth and 10 plus passes than or, or percentage wise more than anybody in the NFL. 
um, it's it's a concern, and it's a concern for Bell too because Bell, uh, his biggest thing is patience, and if the offensive line can't open holes and they're just getting abused, uh, he kind of has to throw out that patience and, and become more of a just he has to hit gaps and just and, and just run through them. He can't really wait for a guy to uh, you know to get blocked or for the offensive line to lineman to uh, you know gain correct leverage on you know a three tech or whatever it may be. So the offensive line is definitely a concern both for Donald. And pass protection, it's a, it's a concern for Bell. You just signed him the big money. Are they going to be able to block for him? Because no matter how good the running back, they still need at least you know a decent uh, offensive line to be truly, truly effective. Um, so it is the biggest concern right now for Jets fans. Well, it's pretty interesting as far as the Dolphins and Jets matchup because I think when it comes to zone running, if Le'Veon Bell has to bang everything and he can't bounce or bend, that's kind of where Raekwon McMillan's strengths play into. So that could be a fun matchup to watch and see how they handle the interior pressure. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and talk about the Jets defense with Joe Blewett. He is the host of the Turn on the Jets Film Room podcast. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And you can find Joe at JoeRB31. Okay, picking things back up here with Joe Blewett of the Turn on the Jets podcast, Turn on the Jets film room podcast, that is. And Joe, you just put out some great content showing Leonard Williams basically kicking the Dolphins' ass several times, as most Jets interior talent has done over the last several years. You just added who, in my opinion, probably the best player in the entire draft this this last April, Quinn and Williams. How do you see these two guys working together? Is Quinnen going to be a you know, 70 80% snap taker? And with those guys inside, is that enough to kind of mitigate some of the lack of pass rushers off the edge? And is that still a concern for you too? Yeah, the, the Quentin Williams, and this is before the Jets drafted him, he was my number one prospect, and I had him well above Bosa. Like I said, there is I do have tweets as evidence. I'm not just being a biased Jets fan, <laughs> but I was super, super high on Quentin Williams and adding him to uh, Leonard Williams in the interior. And whether it be 3-4, 4-3, plug them both you know, inside, whether it be from zero to, to four-eye tech. Uh, there will be some snaps where Leonard Williams is going to be outside as a five because Greg Williams is a guy who he puts people everywhere. There's outside linebackers I saw last year with Cleveland that were playing one technique um, because of all the stunts and exchanges and different blitzes that they would um you know, frequently show in, in that defense. So they're going to be all over the place, but I do think that they're both going to be on the field a ton. I, I just, I, you know, however you have to do that um, because they're both obviously top flight type guys. I, Leonard Williams, he was kind of a guy who was super overrated when he, when he got drafted by Jets fans. He's supposed to be like a superstar, but then people kind of overcompensated for that. Now, now people are saying he's bad and he's not good and trade him for a fourth round draft pick, which if you watch film, uh, he's much more valuable than that. He's still on that pro bowl type level. Um, and Quinton Williams, like I said, who was my number one prospect in the draft, adding them both into the interior, uh, they're going to be a force for teams to one run against and the and the pass rush. I don't know how where you stand on this, Travis. I'm sure you've talked about it. You do, you know, five podcasts a week for <laughs> for uh, Locked On Dolphins. I'm sure you've talked about interior or exterior pressure um, on the podcast before. And I'm taking interior pressure all day because you're cutting off a half field of the read or half field of read for the quarterback. You know, if you're rolling out to the right, can you really throw the ball all the way across the you know the hash to the uh, to the left side, and you know, unless you're a guy like Patrick Mahomes, it kind of cuts off that that uh, that half that field. So you're limiting you're limiting the reads that quarterbacks can make. And if they're not a mobile guy like a Tom Brady, uh, you're you're gonna hit them. And Tom Brady has came out before and said that uh, in in the past that he he'll take exterior versus interior pressure all day. So um, I'm I'm more confident with the pass rush, but uh, pass rush, but there is still a concern. You don't necessarily have that big flight. Uh, pass rusher. We have Jordan Jenkins, who's a guy who can get six, seven sacks a year. Uh, I think he got a little 
little bit better this last year and stacking his moves, and he got a little bit better bend and athleticism and learning how to use his hands. And then you do have uh, Ja'Kai Polite, who was a big draft story, a uh, guy who could have been probably a top 20 to fit maybe 15 pick in the draft if he didn't completely blow up the combine in the wrong way. The Jets got him in the third round. Can they get his weight down? Can they get his mind in the right place and make him a pass rusher who can get maybe, you know, eight to ten sacks, maybe not this year, but a guy who can get that yearly um, would be a big step up from the Jets. The Jets have never had outside linebackers who, who can rush the passer since, you know, John Abraham in the early 2000s. So that's still a concern, but I think that the interior pressure will definitely um, kind of combat that that exterior pressure where you're going to push the pocket. Greg Williams is a guy who's going to one gap much more than Todd Bowles did, who's a, who's a two-gapping type guy. You're not going to get much, much pass rush for that, but for a guy in Greg Williams who likes the the one gapping, penetrating, uh, you know, penetrators with the bloopers and the stunts and all this different thing, uh, all these different things, I think that you're going to see Leonard Williams and Quinn Williams on one-on-one matchups in the interior uh, quite often, which, you know, uh, that's that's probably the strongest area of the Jets defense. So you can have fun with that one. We talked with Joe Marino of Locked On Bills on Tuesday about the Jets getting Quinnen Williams, the Bills getting Ed Oliver, and the Dolphins getting Christian Wilkins. And you talked about Tom Brady wanting exterior pressure over interior pressure. I'm kind of hoping, Joe, this means that we might force him out a year or two ahead of time than he was planning on originally. But another guy the Jets added, in addition to Quinn and Williams, one of the prize free agents they had on the defense was C.J. Mosley. And I know that you've gone back and forth with some Ravens fans and with just people in general about Mosley's strengths and weaknesses. And you might argue, you might even tell me this too, Joe, that paying an off-ball linebacker that kind of money might be a little bit rich. But at the same time, this guy's going to help your football team. Tell us how he does that. Yeah, the thing that's interesting with with Mosley and the whole and signing him was people were arguing, okay, well, you know, Jets want outside linebackers, but the outside linebackers who were signed this year were signed for like fourteen, fifteen million dollars. Looking at guys like Zadarius Smith um, and Preston Smith, some of these guys who I think are average outside linebackers, where they're getting money like like you know more of top flight guys. And I'm of the mindset I rather sign an all pro pro ball level player pretty much at any position than an average player at one of the, you know, the the big positions at outside linebacker corner left tackle, et cetera. So, um, and the jets were kind of in a position this year where you've seen it over the past few years where jet where the jets were used as a, like negotiating poor. Okay. I'm going to go sign with the jets for $15 million a year. Give me 14 and I'll stay here. And the jets needed to throw money at a few guys to make this a more attractive destination. And I think that's what they did with Mosley, him being one of their big free agent signings where, you know, the Ravens were willing to come up to 14, $15 million reportedly. And the jets went up to, you know, $17 million. So you're paying two million, two more million dollars for a guy who, in my opinion, is a top five, top three inside linebacker in the league. You can argue, you know, Keekley and Wagner and Leonard and Van Der Esch now, but I think he does fit somewhere in that top five. Uh, he's a guy who I think is pretty well-rounded. He, he's really, really good in the run game. Uh, you've seen him get pass deflections and interceptions. He's one of the top, you know, he's one of the top inside linebackers in the league. I'm not going to uh, call him, you know, number one because that, that belongs to Keekley and, you know, number two is Wagner, but you can argue anywhere from three to five. So uh, definitely, you know, excited for for him in the middle of the defense of the Jets, which is which is pretty strong now if you're looking at, you know, you're talking about Leonard Williams and Quinton Williams, even Henry Anderson. Now you have, you know, C.J. Mosley who replaces Darren Lee, um, which is always a big upgrade. And you have Avery Williamson coming back as well. So the middle of the defense is very, very strong. And I think, you know, like I said, adding a, a top-flight guy, even though you did overpay a little bit. Listen, the Jets had over $100 million in cap space. And I think they were starting to get frustrated with being used, like I said, um, you know, kind of as a contract negotiation ploy. 
We've got Joe Blewett here, the Turn on the Jets film room podcast, talking about the New York Jets 2019 season. He is the 29th of 31 team previews we've done so far in the Locked On Dolphins summer series, talking about the rest of the NFL. And Joe, I got one last question for you here, kind of a two-parter to wrap this thing up. I want to know, is Adam Gaze going to come down to Miami and sweep the Dolphins in both those games? Will they split? Will the Dolphins take both from the Jets? And what is the Jets record going to be in 2019? Yeah, see, this is such a hard question to answer because I'm on a Dolphins podcast. So if I say that <laughs> Dude, Jets be are honest, sweep, be I look like a, I look like a jerk, and then I go to my podcast and give me one zero stars and bad reviews no. and stuff. Uh, no, no, okay. So <laughs> it's such a so I, I'm going to say split just because that's kind of how things work. You know, um, even if the Jets are, which I I believe are they are a better team than the Dolphins this year. The Dolphins are projected to be one of the worst teams in the NFL, and I think the Jets are going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, but just because we're in the same division, you know, uh, going up to or going down to Miami, I should say, is is never an easy thing. That's you have one of the best home field is, uh, home field advantage in that heat that you guys have that in a mugginess. So uh, they're going to lose a stupid game in Miami, the homecoming of Adam Gase <laughs> for some dumb reason that'll hold them out of the playoffs because <laughs> yep. that's just yeah. how the Jets are. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say they split, even though I'm hoping I think it's very possible that they do sweep the Dolphins and we get you guys back for for last year and you swept us. And the Jets, there's there's one thing I'm hoping. Well, obviously, I'm hoping for a good year. The Jets have been terrible, like you've been said, you, like you've said, and I've really had not, you know, I haven't had a, a lot to look forward to with Mark Sanchez and Greg McElroy and Josh <laughs> McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I'm actually excited for this year, but I'm just hoping. I bet, you know, half of a thousand dollars or the guy at work that the Jets are going to finish with seven or more wins. So I'm just praying that happens at the very minimum. But I'm going to say I'm going to say the Jets finish at eight and eight. Uh, Adam Gase's first year, maybe nine and seven. Uh, I do think they have the necessary talent to make or a wild card appearance in the AFC. Now, will that all happen with all a bunch of new coaches with Adam Gase who's a little bit of a hothead with, paired with Greg Williams? I'm not too sure, but I do think they have kind of a window from anywhere from from six and ten at the worst to maybe ten and six at the very very highest because. Listen, it's happened with almost every single Jets coach has been hired over the last decade that they get hired or the last two decades. They get hired. Uh, they make the playoffs in their first year. Even Todd Bowles in, in his first year went 10-6 and six with the Jets, with, which, uh, with which I think was a much less talented team with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you, you added a couple of pro bowlers, all pros, a couple of guys who are tops of their position um, on both the offense and, and the defense. So I think the Jets have a chance. But I'm, I'm still going to say 8-8 eight and eight because at the end of the day, they, they do have to mesh and learn. And Sam Darnold, while I, while I do think he's going to take a major step forward in his second year, he, it still is his second year as a 22-year-old quarterback. So. Well, that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast, Joe, because I do appreciate that levity. And this is one of the more objective Dolphins podcasts. I think, at least I try to pride myself on that. I was high on the Dolphins last year going into the season, but then things kind of started to deteriorate. And so I had to go away from that. Now I have reasonable expectations this year to expect that four or five, maybe six wins at best for the Dolphins type of season. But again, he is Joe Blewett. He is the host of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I keep saying it wrong. Turn on the Jets Film Room podcast, that is. And Joe, tell the people where they can find you and what you're working on right now. Um, yeah, so t- it's just TOJ Space Film Space Room on uh, you know iTunes and on YouTube. You literally just type in Turn on the Jets and I'll pop up somewhere. Uh, I know a ton of Dolphins fans aren't going to follow me to look at all the film of Cleccio Semelin. Like I just said, I, I finished a, a whole two-hour show on Brian Poole and Ty Montgomery. I'm sure Dolphins fans aren't too interested in that. But <laughs> if you do want to come over, you know, come over to the podcast. 
uh, twice a year when the Jets play the Dolphins and see what I'm seeing on film. And I break it down and it's not just, oh, this is a good play. You know, we break down concepts and coverages and leverages and techniques and footwork and everything you want to see and learn um, with, with, you know, within the game. Um, so that's where you can find us. And like I said, maybe come over twice a year and check it out. Well, this is a great place to talk about that stuff because that's kind of what my audience is into as well on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Again, Joe, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Let's do it again before the season starts. Yeah, cool. Definitely sounds good. And there he goes. It's always great to get a perspective of someone else from the division with a objective perspective of the teams that we face every single year, twice a year. So he, again, is Joe Blewett of the Turn on the Jets Film Room podcast. He does some great stuff on Twitter. Go check out his videos on his Twitter timeline at JoeRB31. As for today's podcast, we're going to get out of here. But first, I want to tell you guys about Grip 6 belts and their ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flap. It's a great gift for grandpa, dad, your son. Anyone that wears a belt can wear a Grip 6 belt. And right now they have a special offer for you at grip6.com lock. That's grip6.com lock. We're going to close this podcast up by telling you guys to please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with Mark Schofield of Lockdown Patriots for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. I'm trying to reconstruct the air and all that brings. And oxidation is the compromise you owe. But this is the